What a joy to be here tonight, and thank you for interrupting your week, and normally on Saturday nights, we're all getting ready for the Lord's Day, and here you are in the warm-up session on Saturday night, and we are so grateful for that. Pastor, thank you for the invitation. I've been excited about coming back and being here, and uh, with the wonderful staff that God's given you and people that love the Lord, and I appreciate so very much you coming tonight. And we're grateful for the love and prayers of God's people. It's an exciting time to be a Bible believer. If you stood the dateless past with the holy God and said, I'm going to pick when I want to live, I want an exciting time, you could not have picked a more exciting time to be a Bible believer. And uh, you think about how much the Lord loves you. Out of all the millions and billions of people that have ever lived on the earth, he allowed you to be alive on the welcoming committee for when his son comes back. You're going to be here for the rapture. You say, well, I'm not sure I believe all that. I'm not sure you get to go either. But uh, you got to know something and believe something to know where you are. And we're living in that moment at the end of time when we can see all these prophetic and Bible things come together. I want to say how much I appreciate Brother Colby Ledford and his wife Maggie. Uh, he's been working and traveling with me for, uh, I guess, nine years now. And uh, we appreciate our home church, Trinity Baptist in Asheville. Pastor alluded to the fact that um, I was a young businessman, and I was in the vending business in Asheville, North Carolina, on Asheville Vending Company. And I actually came up to a trade show in Chicago. Chicago's known for vending and vending machines. And I was up here... And uh, some of our friends and uh, my wife, she was uh, with the, that group, and they were uh, over at pastor school, and actually at the youth conferences that were going on at that time. We had a group of kids, and, uh, and I was doing business during the day, and I came over at night, and I would join them. And in the special night where the church presented uh, the evening, a church with a heart. It talked about soul winning and evangelism, and I had uh, been running from the call to preach since I was a teenager. I knew God had his hand on my life. My dad was a pastor. Uh, my wife and I, her dad was a pastor, and when we met and were dating in college, she said, uh, looks like we're going to bring our lives together. Have you made plans on what you want to do when you graduate? And I said, I, I think I want to teach on the college level, and uh, I majored in uh, history, minored in psychology, and she said, good, said, thank goodness, said, I was afraid you'd say something about the ministry. I don't want to marry no preacher. And I said, you don't have to worry about that. That's the last thing I'll ever do. <clears throat> don't ever say that, by the way. So, uh, but God had a plan and a purpose, and I left the service that night broken before the Lord, and I realized that you couldn't buy happiness with a dollar bill or another new car. We had all kinds of toys in the yard, motorcycles and four-wheelers and new cars. We'd go anywhere we wanted to go on the weekend but church, go to football games, travel all over the southeast, go pull for Alabama, watch Bear Bryant with his little checkered hat, and, uh, but it wouldn't fill up that hole that was on the inside. And only the Lord can do that. And I prayed all night, cried all night. And uh, I finally went in the bathroom, closed the door so she could sleep because she had to meet the group the next morning. 
And uh, sometime during the night, I surrendered it all, gave it to the Lord, made the bathtub an altar, and knelt down there and prayed. And never went to bed that night, settled it with God. And uh, I didn't want my daddy to call me or my mama to send me. I wanted to make sure it was from a holy God. And that's something that has to be settled on the inside between you and the Lord. We got up the next morning, <clears throat> and uh, Musette said, What's wrong with you? And I said, well, I think I've worked out some things uh, between me and the Lord, and I've surrendered, and uh, I know we've got the business, I know God's blessing us, and uh, we'd tried to make a deal with the Lord. I'd uh, work uh, three days and volunteer some time at the church. I'd work four days, but uh, you can't play, let's make a deal. You just got to either give it everything to him, or uh, you're going to be in trouble, and... Uh, she said, well, we're supposed to meet our friends for lunch. And I said, I can't do it. I've cried all night. Look at my face. And uh, I started crying again. I was weeping. I was just bawling. And she said, are you going to be okay? And I said, yeah, I, I, you go on. I'll, I'll be fine. And she left. I started crying again. And I just kept weeping, broken before the Lord, thanking God for mercy, for grace, because he anywhere along that line he could have pulled my number because I was in rebellion and walking against his word. <laughs> but he loved me, and I'm grateful for that. I'm thankful for that, and I'm thankful for you uh, being able to pray for us. And one of the things I settled with God that night was that whatever my time and talents might be, I wanted to give them back to the Lord. And as God dealt with me, she went on, and uh, I kept crying. I said, well, I'll watch some TV. And I'll look at the TV and I'll, I'll get this <clears throat> emotional breakdown I'm having. It'll go away. And uh, I, tried, I couldn't watch TV. I was crying. It's raining in my TV. And so I cut the TV off. I said, well, uh, let me go get a Coke. It's 10 o'clock in the morning. I got my little ice bucket and uh, got me some change. Whoever heard of going to a motel vending machine at 10 o'clock in the morning and there being a line and there was a line four or five people and I had to stand there crying with my little bucket <laughs> you know and, and some fellow walked by and he said God bless you son it's going to be alright <laughs> and I said I know it it's getting alright <laughs> and uh, I got the coke and went back to the room and finally, it was time to go meet them for lunch. And I can't even remember the, the restaurant pastor. We went somewhere near the edge of Chicago, a, a beautiful restaurant. We were meeting, and I remember I got out on the sidewalk, and I'm still crying. I'm trying to get a handle on it. And I, I got inside, and they're all waiting for me. I'm the last one at the table in a beautiful dining room. And I, I said, uh, Musette looked at me. She said, are you okay? You gonna be? I said, yeah. I said, I'm just, God and I are just settling some things, and it's, it's been an ordeal all night and this morning, <clears throat> but I'm going to be fine. I'm fine. That's good. And I ordered something off the menu, and I remember uh, when they brought my uh, appetizer, I'd ordered some vegetable soup, and, uh, it, and all of a sudden it hit me again. Boy, God had forgiven me. It was under the blood, and I was going to give my life to him. And I just started crying again. And I, I couldn't help it. And I grabbed that big old dinner napkin on that table, all that linen. 
I just put it up over my face, started crying and said, oh God, thank you. I promise you I'll do all I can. And I just looked for an exit and I just saw a double door and I just went through that double door behind me and just leaned up against the wall, just crying, begging God to have mercy on me. And thank you, Lord, for being so good to me. And I heard all this noise. And I pulled that napkin down. And I'm in the flipping kitchen. <laughs> and it looked like the marriage supper of the lamb. All these chefs with big, tall, white hats. Everybody was in white. And I'm standing in front of an eight-burner stove. And there's a lady there with a giant pot and a, it looked like a boat paddle stirring it. She had the big eye looking at me. And as I pulled that napkin down, she said, mm-mm, pour it on him, Jesus. Pour it on him, Jesus. <laughs> and I began to pray and say, Lord, that's exactly what I need. I need fresh oil from another world. And uh, from that day to this day, uh, you've been a part of my life. And I love you for that. I love you for being faithful, keeping the light on the lighthouse. And generationally, the training and producing of preachers, of missionaries, and then the visionary leadership that God's given you for this generation, it's been unbelievable. And we thank God for each one of you. It is an exciting time for us, as I mentioned earlier, about being a student of the Word of God, knowing what's happening, knowing what's taking place. I want you to take your Bible tonight and turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. While you're turning to Matthew 24, I would like to encourage you to bring someone with you to church in the morning. I hope that you'll reach out to a family member, to a friend, and say, I want you to come and be with me in church tomorrow. We're going to deal with a couple of things that I think will be important for your friends. One of them is this fact. If I really believe the Lord's coming, and I know he could come today, if I really believe that, then uh, it's going to change my life. And it's going to change my relationships. And so I want to deal with that in the morning. I call it a prophecy revival. Because if I really believe the Lord's coming, it's going to change the way I live. And it'll change it dramatically. Let's pray, shall we? Father, for the next moment or two, you sober us and separate us from the cares and worries of this world. Allow us, God, to be able to teach and to preach your word. And then, God, I pray you do something for our hearts that we're not able to do for ourselves. And God will give you glory and honor. In the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 24, verse number 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings, plural, of the temple. And then in verse number 2, you'll notice the type changes from black to red. Now Jesus is going to speak. And Jesus said unto them, See not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now verse 3 goes back to black letters, the commenting and the question of the disciples. Verse 4 goes back to out of the mouth of Christ. 
I want to pause there about one uh, stone upon another. A lot of Bible critics, if you study uh, apologetics on how to defend your faith, one of the things that you have to encounter is like the last red-hot debate for the last three or four years is that the New Testament's not real because there are no synagogues in Galilee. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all Jewish books and that Jesus was in a synagogue. We never find Jesus in a church. We always find him in a synagogue. And so how do we counteract what the scholarship side of academia was presenting and the archaeological side? Uh, we had to defend our faith. So we stepped out and do what we always do. If it's in the Word of God, we believe it and we trust it and we say the Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God. Okay, so as I would take my tours uh, to the Holy Land for years, I just came back from my 58th teaching tour in the Holy Land. We'd leave the hotel in Tiberias, start around the lake, heading around to the Mount of Beatitudes, and I would always gesture out to the side. Somewhere in this banana grove and all these bushes and trees, there's a city called Magdala, and we're passing by that area. Well, in 2013, they went to build a hotel there, and when they went to build it, they hit some stones. And under Jewish law, you have to call the Department of Antiquities. And the Department of Antiquities came out, and they said, oh, this is a big find. This is a city. This is what we've been looking for. It was under the subsoil. This is the city of Magdala. And so they started excavating. So the architects took the hotel that was going to be here, and they redrew it on the plat and moved it over <clears throat> uh, several hundred yards uh, to the left, and they started excavating. And guess what they found? They found a synagogue there at Magdala. And now all of a sudden, hallelujah, we've got our first New Testament synagogue. You say, well, I've been to Capernaum. There's a synagogue there. But there wasn't at the time of Christ. It was rebuilt in the first century. So we're talking about when the Christ was teaching and preaching. And so uh, we know that uh, there was a lot of controversy, a lot of things happening there. And when they discovered this, they found a, what they call the Magdala Stone. It was in the center, and it was a replica of what was on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. They sent it to the university, and they kept it there till last fall. And then they brought it back, and glass set it up, and said, guess what? It's real. There was a synagogue here. And there's been such an outpouring of, of people coming and verifying Scripture and saying it's true that uh, they had to go across the road uh, right under the, the uh, cliffs of the dove there and said, we'll put in a, a bus parking lot. And so they started excavating across the road. Bingo. Synagogue number two was found from the time of Christ. So that's what happens when God's word says it's going to happen. Well, one of the things that skeptics and cynics, critics do, is they take this passage in Matthew and they say, well, that's not so because we have a western wall. We have a wall nicknamed the Wailing Wall. And so there was uh, actually 
that was not true, so the words of Christ were not true, so probably he's not the real deal because their stones stacked up. Well, here's what you have to remember, that this verse, he's on the Mount of Olives. So let's use our imagination for just a moment, and the platform will be the Mount of Olives. And then this particular part of the auditorium in front of me will be the Kidron Valley. And then going up to the back, well, that'll be Mount Moriah. Over here to the left will be Mount Zion. And so uh, in some places I can take a rock and I can throw it across the Kidron Valley. Well, Jesus and the disciples, they left the temple, came through the gate, beautiful, the eastern gate, walked over the land bridge, come up here to the Mount of Olives. They sit down for a quiet time and a conversation. When they do, the disciples said, what's going to happen? And look what Jesus said in verse 2. There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. So what they're saying is that the western wall, this wailing wall, proves it's still up that the words of Christ were not true. But what they don't know is they don't know archaeology, neither do they know geology, and neither do they know what this wall is. The western wall, the Wailing Wall, is nothing but a retaining wall. If you've ever built a driveway or a deck at the back of your house, you had to cut a bank, you would put up a wall to retain, to hold back the dirt. And King Herod, the great builder, uh, at the time of Christ, he expanded the platform of Mount Moriah, the platform of the Temple Mount, and he put up this wailing wall, this that we nicknamed it now. It's actually the western wall of the Temple Mount platform. Had nothing to do with the temple, had nothing to do with the buildings of the temple. Uh, it was not a part of the structure. It's only holding back dirt to make a bigger place. But after 2,000 years, the closest thing for a religious Jew today is to be able to go to that platform area where that wall is because up on top now is a silver dome called the Al-Aska Mosque and then a big gold dome, and that big gold dome is, is over nothing. I was just inside there a few days ago, and there's nothing in there but a big rock. That's all that's in there with a beautiful gold dome over it. But it's the rock that Abraham offered Isaac on. It's the rock that David threshed wheat on. And so this is the important Temple Mount platform. And of course, to the religious Jew, they believe that that's the first rock God created when he spoke uh, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created, and this is called the foundation stone. And that's what they believe. So... Now we know why there's so much interest and intensity and discussion about this geography. So now, what is important here in this verse of Scripture, no stone will be upon the other. Well, there was a revolt in 66 A.D. The Jews wanted to get rid of the Romans, and so they revolted. And they, the revolt continued, and there was all kinds of problems uh, down at Masada, and down at Caesarea by the sea, Caesarea Philippi, and all of these places where Herod had construction projects going on. So the Romans came, they landed at Caesarea by the sea, and they come up to Jerusalem, and they savaged the city. 
And one of the general leading that is General Titus of the Roman army. And he comes and he sets the city on fire and the most beautiful building in the world. They said in the mornings when you come into Jerusalem, it had two sunrises because the, there was so much gold and silver on the second uh, temple that you had to shield your eyes. The reflection of all the gold and silver would reflect the sun into your eyes. And Titus told the troops, set it on fire. And what happened? As that building burned, all that gold and all that silver ran down the mortar joints of all those blocks. And when it cooled off, guess what Titus said? He said, I'll tell you what you can do. All that gold and silver that, met, that melted and ran in there, that'll be your payday. If you want it, you can have it. And what did they do? They fulfilled the words of the Lord Jesus Christ verbatim. He said not one stone, and those Romans pried every stone apart. And the walls fell down so they could get the gold and silver out. And it's not the Wailing Wall, not the Western Wall. That dirt retaining wall is still there. And they're still praying there tonight. And uh, I was just there praying a, a, a few days ago with uh, there and uh, had them surrounding me. And you've seen them do this, this uh, rocking motion as they pray. Did, did we happen to bring a Talit or a prayer shawl? Okay. But, uh, I may show that tomorrow night and what it means. And so they're rocking back and forth, rocking back and forth. And they're praying for three things, if you want to put them in your prophecy note. So the Jews are praying for three things tonight. Number one, <clears throat> they're praying for the Messiah to come. In Hebrew, it goes like this, Bahamashiach. They're praying for the Messiah to come. Because they say there'll be no peace till he comes. And boy, they're right. Number two, they're praying for uh, the temple to be built. The third temple. In the last few months, I've been all over Europe teaching and researching at about 35 different European cities. They're actually running commercials all over European TV, uh, raising money for the building of the third temple. All of that's changed now with the outbreak of war. But they are building, they want the temple to be rebuilt. They call it a house for God for the people of the earth. They say that if there's a house for God, there's no house for God in the world, they say. This is the Jewish people that are pushing the construction. I just studied with Rabbi Chaim Richman there in Israel, and I can tell you this much. All the garments are made. They're not going to be made for the priest and the high priest. Those are done. Uh, all the garments are constructed. They've got the final stone for the breastplate. That's in place. So that's all constructed. And... Uh, uh, the rabbi took a key out and unlocked the cabinet, gave me a pair of white gloves to, to put on, reached in there and turned around and handed me a crown. And I almost dropped it because it's solid gold. It's heavy. And it says in Hebrew, holy unto God. And he handed me that crown out of that cabinet. And the rabbi, he said, do you know what you're holding, Ralph? And I said, I do. And I couldn't hardly talk. I was overcome with emotion. And he said, I know what you're thinking. And I said, Rabbi, you don't have a clue what I'm thinking. 
And he said, I do, Ralph. You're thinking you're holding a crown that one day will sit upon the head of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I said, Rabbi, that's exactly what I was thinking. And I turned around and looked, and he had tears running out of his eyes. Listen to what he asked me. He said, Ralph, when he comes, not if he comes, when he comes, he said, will you take him to meet me? And can we ask him together, is this the first time you've come, or is this the second time you've come? The whole world knows something is about to happen. Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. God allowed that to be fulfilled so that when we come to 2023 and we're having to deal with fake news and artificial intelligence and you don't know what's real and what's not real, ladies and gentlemen, we've got to be in this book. This is all we've got. This is our mental health. This is the, the very essence of what we are, what we're about. It's the Word of God. And you cannot allow the things of this world and the distractions of this world to take you away from the Word of God. This is, this is why you're here. This is why God saved you. This is why you're here. Maybe you're not saved or you're watching online or on the radio and you're not a believer, but you're searching, you're looking. Well, good. This is what you're looking for. It's the inerrant, infallible, holy, inspired Word of God. And this is the only sense, it's the only explanation for the day and hour that we're in. And as he said upon the Mount of Olives, verse 3, the disciples came to him saying, now, church, there's three questions here. There's three questions we'll have in the morning, but there's three questions here you need to write down. Here are the questions the disciples asked the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, when shall these things be? The disciples want to know. They're talking to Jesus, so they said, Jesus, when shall these things be? All right? Number two, question number two. And what shall be the sign of thy coming? What shall be the sign of thy coming? That's question number two. Then question number three, what shall be the sign of the end of the world? What will be the sign of the end of the world? Human nature has not changed. Human nature is still asking those same questions. You work with people. You've got family member and friends and listen, I, I had a man stop me the other day, and I was in the airport, and we were just standing at a gate waiting to go, and he's not a Christian. He said, I'm not a Christian, but I, I had a, a, my little Testament Bible, and, and, I, and we turned around there, and, and he said, I think everybody knows something's about to happen. He said, I can feel it. Can you feel it? I said, yeah. And, and I said, that's why this is the answer. <laughs> you got to have the Word of God. It, it's the, it's the, the very essence of what we're dealing with in everything in the world that's taking place. It doesn't make any sense if you're not a student of the Word of God. And he was talking about how he is worried. He's anxious. He said, I'm afraid for my family. 
And then it gives you an opportunity to talk about the peace that passes understanding. But if you don't know the Bible, you're, you're going to chew your fingernails off to your elbow. You're, you're not going to have any joy in life because you're going to be so worried and so anxious, you're going to be upset. But if you know the Word of God, it brings you peace in the midst of the storm. And look what happened. Jesus answered and said to them, verse 4, now it turns back to red letters, take heed that no man what? Deceive you. Ladies and gentlemen, the essence of what's happening around the world is right now, let me ask you something. Who, who do you believe? What's real on the news? Is that really my face and my voice? Or is that a, a computer that's recreated my face and my voice? Who, who's in charge? Who's making all the decisions? Do you understand that the whole world is being deceived at the same time? Uh, the deception... Pay, pay attention to the phrasing of the scriptures. The Bible says what? He said that the devil has blinded the eyes. Is that what he said? He said he's blinded the what? The mind. And that's the battle. Pastor was talking a moment ago, his burden for the nation of Israel and what's happening. And I said, I have to go back there to Psalms 83 because I believe Israel's fighting two wars tonight. I believe they're fighting the physical war against terrorism and the, and the slaughter of innocent children and the massacre that took place. That's one battle. But there's another battle that's raging around the war, around the world, and that has to do with Israel being not the victim, but Israel being the enemy. And you've got people saying, let's get rid of Israel. Yeah. Uh, the Hamas charter calls for the annihilation of the nation of Israel. Can you believe that? That's what it calls, says that there'll be no more. And so you get Hezbollah, uh, they, they believe the same thing. And, and you know from the years I've spent working in the West Bank and with the Palestinians and in Jericho and Ramallah and all the places that we go, that, uh, that there is a, a, an ideology and there's a, there's a struggle. And so what do I do as a Christian? Well, since 1951, what our family's done is we've loved the Arab and we've loved the Jew. We've loved the Palestinian and we've loved the settler. And how do we do that? Because I can help him and I can help him. And they say, why are you being kind to me? And I say, because Jesus saved me. He was kind to me. He gave his life for me. And everybody can understand when you're loving them or helping their children or putting shoes on somebody's feet, or putting a meal in somebody's mouth, and that gives us an opportunity to what? To give them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I go to the uh, Crippled Children's Hospital there in the East Bank, uh, on the West Bank, and guess what? Uh, all of those are Arab and Palestinian children. Uh, but guess what they allow me to do? That when we bring the therapy equipment and the wheelchairs and stuff we donate, then... I give all the children uh, coloring books and boxes of crayons and Crayolas. They love that. But the coloring books are the life story of Jesus. Amen? And they get the cover. And, of course, they believe he's a great prophet. And then the Jewish guys, they believe he was a good man. And, but here I am in the middle with you and me, and we're saying, whosoever will may come. He's the Messiah. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so 
we are given this opportunity to bridge all this with the gospel. And he said, you be careful, don't let someone deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, verse 5. And then look what it says. And what shall it do? Deceive many. There it is again. So there's a double deception. And he's a warning. And uh, have you heard of um, this guy that was down in South America? And uh, he said he was the Christ. And, he, and then when they got... Uh, investigated and the kingdom began to fall apart. You remember he took uh, big wash tubs and filled it with, made Kool-Aid, and then he put strychnine poisoning in it. You know? And, and all, if not one of those people would have died before they drank the Kool-Aid. That's become part of our uh, slang now that we use that if somebody's being misled, they drank the Kool-Aid. Before anyone drank the poison, Guess what? Before I drink this, would you pull up your shirt and show me where the spear went in? And would you show me the nail prints in your hand? Huh? Or, or what about Waco, Texas? You know, before, before we die, uh, David, uh, show me the nail prints and pull up your shirt and show me where the spear went in. Many have said they're Christ. After Waco, I think the Houston Chronicle did a survey within 100 uh, miles of, of Houston, Texas, I think they found over 50 different people or agencies claiming to be the Christ. So these prophecies that are in the Word of God, they're all through here. And they're all about what's happening and what's going to happen. And look at verse 6, you shall hear wars and rumors of war. Well, whoever dreamed that on a Saturday night in October, that a meeting you guys put on the calendar over a year ago, that when we actually got here for this night, that there would be a war with Russia and the Ukraine. Whoever dreamed that? Whoever dreamed that there would be a war with the nation of Israel and Hamas and Hezbollah? You know, whoever dreamed that? Whoever, whoever dreamed that Iran would be saying, we want to build a nuclear weapon that we can eradicate the Jew off the face of the earth? Whoever dreamed that there'd be war in Yemen? Whoever dreamed that China uh, would be, you know, on our southern border in the last 14 days, they have arrested over 1,000 single adult Chinese men coming into America. 1,000 in two weeks. Huh? Uh, do you understand that we have an enemy, that it, it, and this is growing? Do you understand that, that Russia just was in China signing a mutual protection agreement that they're going to stand together? Do you realize that now that what happened there uh, in southern Israel, what did we find? We found munitions that were manufactured in South Korea, I mean in North Korea. We found also uh, mortars that were manufactured in Iran. And we found uh, what we call anti-tank missiles or shoulder-launch type weaponry. And they came from Russia. So... Well, what we're seeing is we're now having an alliance of evil with North Korea and Russia and China and Iran, and all of this is coming together against the Western world. And if you're a student of history at all, ladies and gentlemen, you need to go to 1937, 1938, and you're seeing that this. if we don't pay attention, we're headed into this same type of setup. And what God's doing 
The difference this time, the difference this time is that Israel's home. Israel's at the house. They're talking about building a temple. They've already got the garments ready to go to worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They're, they know something's about to happen. In 37, 38, my dad was saved in a tent meeting in 1937. The Irish evangelist William McBurney was preaching that night. And my dad worked for a Jewish businessman. And he locked up the store lift, started home, and the big gospel tent was up in downtown Asheville. My dad went in and sat on the back row, just curious, what's going on? And McBurney was teaching with a chalkboard and he was preaching. And you know what his message was that night my dad got saved? That Israel's going to have a nation and one day they'll go home. That's 11 years before it happened and he's preaching the word of God. And it caught my dad's attention because my dad worked for a Jew. And so after the service, he waited around and he went up to Mr. McBurney and he said, Sir, I work for a Jewish businessman. Does he have to know Jesus for him to go to heaven? And he said, yes, sir, young man, he does. That no man shall see the Father except through the Son. And he started giving my dad the plan of salvation. And he said, young man, you're, uh, how old are you? And my dad said, I'm 17. He said, well, let me ask you something, son. He said, you're worried about your Jewish businessman. What about if the Lord were to come today? Or you were to die. Where would you spend eternity? And my dad said, I don't know. I wouldn't go to heaven for sure. And he said, would you like to go to heaven? My dad said, yes, sir, I would, but I don't know how. And McBurney said, you see this piece of chalk in my hand? And my dad said, yes. And he said, I want you to ask me for it. And he said, could I have that piece of chalk, sir? And so that he reached out with that chalk to hand it to my father. And my father reached up and did this. He stretched out his hand. McBurney put that chalk in his hand. And he said, how did you get that chalk? And he said, I asked you for it, and you gave it to me. And he said, why don't you ask Jesus to come into your heart, and he'll come right in. He said, you know what you did before you could receive him? You opened your hand. And before you can receive Christ, you've got to open your heart. And boy, my dad, listen, my dad had a full-ride scholarship to the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill on basketball. He was point guard, little Bob Cousy. Just dribbled that ball everywhere. And he turned his back on that scholarship. And when he graduated that year, he went to Bible college, Nyack, New York. And had, how did he get through college? Had no money. He milked cows. Got up at 5 o'clock in the morning milking cows so he could go to Bible college and preach the gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, you're dealing with dynamite. It's the word of God. It's the power of the word. It can change life, change circumstances, change marriages, change plans, change the future. You've got to be excited about what God's given you. You've got to have some enthusiasm. You've got to have a little smile on your face. And so people, they say, what are you grinning about? I'm happy. I'm going to heaven. Say amen. We've got to share that joy. And look what happened. He said, Wars and rumors of war, be that you not trouble, for all these things must come to pass. Nation against nation, China against Taiwan, kingdom against kingdom. If there was no Israel, there'd still be war. You say, how's that possible? Because in the Arab world, we have the Sunni and the Shia. And they kill each other just because they don't pray right. 
So that's, that's where you are. That, that, that war is raging inside that Islamic war. And that's kingdom against kingdom, famine, pestilence, earthquakes in diverse places. The key verse, if you're marking or making notes in your Bible, verse number 8, all these are what? The beginning of sorrows. It's not the end, it's the beginning. Uh, if I read that to you in the Greek New Testament, it would say something like this, all these are the birth pangs of sorrow. That it's like a woman in labor. Now, I've never had a baby, but my wife, I was with her when she had our children. And one of the things that I discovered was that they had sometimes what we call false labor. She would have pains and contractions, but she's not going to go have a baby. But it was a wake-up call. I painted the room then. Something getting ready to happen because she's going to have a baby. So I better paint the nursery. So that was false labor. But then when she started into labor, it would come and, and, and pain, and then there would be a little rest. And then another wave. But the pain was a little more. And then the rest was shortened. And so in the study of Bible prophecy... What I did is I took the Bible and I took all the current events of modern history and I started working myself backwards. And I said, I, I want to know when the labor started. Where did the end begin? And you know where I ended up? 1948. I've got a whole study on, on technology. 1948, you know, that the World Bank started. 1948... Planned Parenthood started. We started killing babies in America in 1948. 1948, we started denying God. We started teaching the Big Bang Theory. 1948. We don't think about all these things. But, but, and the technology, the Polaroid camera, that technology in 1948. Uh, the hologram, 1948. Microprocessors, 1948. Magnetic tape to do recordings, 1948. All of this, that's the beginning. So, if I'm going to walk across this platform, I'm going to leave this speaker and I'm going to walk to that speaker. I'm going to stand here and I'm going to tell you, there's another speaker on the other side of the platform. It's black. I can see it. Sounds good. House, is, house sound is beautiful. I mean, I, this is great. That's good. I can tell it's a good speaker. I don't know, maybe a JB. I don't know what kind it is, but it's, it's a good speaker. I'm standing here and talk about it. it I'm, one day I'm going to walk over there and see that. I'm going to get closer to it. Nothing is going to happen until I do this. Now, now we're in motion. Now I'm approaching the time that I will be with this speaker. Ladies and gentlemen, God doesn't tell time with a Rolex. Listen to me carefully here. God doesn't use a Timex. When God tells time, he uses the nation of Israel. And if Israel is in the news, you might start packing because we're getting ready to get out of here. So May 14, 1948, that's that second study. Prophecy 101 is the technology. And then the second one I did was the nation of Israel. 
May 14, 1948, Israel becomes a nation. So what did God do? Here's the pendulum of prophecy. God suspended the time, remember? He, we saw that stop. But May 14, 1948, when did he stop this? Let's run back over here to where we were a moment ago. General Titus, Jerusalem, 70 A.D. What did Titus do? He put shackles and chains on every Jew and put them everywhere there's a Roman colony or a Roman nation and he scattered them around the world that there'd be no Jews in Jerusalem. But some of them hid, they survived, and for 3,000 years it's been the capital of the nation of Israel. But he intentionally scattered the Jews that there'd be no voice in Jerusalem. So for 2,000 years, there's no homeland. For 2,000 years, all these prophecies about them coming home and the desert blooming like a rose, they can't be fulfilled. But May 1948, watch what God did. That stopped 70 AD. It's just there. Then God went. Boom. Tick. Ah. Tick. Top. Jesus coming. Ready or not. Jesus is coming. Countdown. Ten. Nine. Eight. Seven. Countdown started. King's coming. Prophecy's in motion. And you are alive to see it. You ought to take a lap just on the sheer fact you get to go. You ought to be so happy and enthusiastic. You say, well, Brother Ralph, do you really believe we're that close? Watch, watch this. What time? Is it? Oh, good, I'm fine. It's only 5.12 in California. All right. Sometimes I have to preach on California time. So let's start here, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, right? Genesis 1, Genesis chapter 2, the creation and animation. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve in the garden. Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel. Genesis chapter 5, the sons of Adam and Eve. Genesis 6, Noah's finding grace in the eyes of the Lord. Genesis chapter 7, we're going to build an ark. Genesis 8 and 9, we've got an ark and we've got what? We've got this beautiful rainbow in the clouds, right? God's made a promise. He always keeps his promises. And then I come to Genesis chapter 10. What have I got? I've got the sons of Noah, right? And then something happens, important church. Genesis 11. Genesis 11. What happens at 11? We've already had a judgment, right? You know why that judgment was on the face of the earth? Why he judged Noah's generation? Violence. Brutality. Unexplainable cruelty. There's a whole night we can spend on, on just Noah days and Lot days. But all of this is building up to chapter 11. And so God, what did he do? They started building the tower, saying they're going to go to heaven. He scattered them, put them around. Then he confused the languages, right? So it, there's a, a little study that, that's fun and, and it's enjoyable for Bible students. It's called... Bible numerology or gematria or gematria. It's sort of the little key you put into a lot of these prophecies to, to tie them together. And 11 is a number of chaos and confusion. Isn't that something? Chaos and confusion. So I'm in 11 and 12 is human government, the number 12. So I go to the 12th chapter, I got God calling Abram out of the Ur of Chaldees. 
So from Genesis 12 to Genesis chapter 1, that's 2,000 years. There are no Jews and there are no Christians, only Gentiles. 2,000 years. So let's go to Genesis 13. And, we'll, and I don't have time to go through all of it. We'll run down here to Acts chapter 2. And guess what? That's another 2,000 years. And then let's run over here to Acts chapter 3. And let's run over here to First Baptist Church, Hammond, Indiana, October 2023. Well, that's another 2,000 years. And then God said a day with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day, and he created in six 24-hour days, right, earth, and then what did he do on the seventh day? He rested. So I've got 2,000, I've got 3,000, 4,000, 5,000. So when I get to Hammond, I got off the plane over at Midway today, I'm walking out on the sixth day is coming to an end, and the world's on fire, and the bear of the north. Did, hey, 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 listen. Hey, did you look at the map at Syria today? Every, every one of those countries that are in the battle of Gog and Magog and Ezekiel, guess what? They're all on the border of Israel tonight. Every country, every one of them's there. Syria's there. It's in the Bible. And the king of the north, that, uh, the, uh, uh, the bear of the north is there. That's Russia. And the kings of the east, that's China. And you say, well, Libya's not there. That's one that's got to come yet. Do you not know when we defeated ISIS in Iraq? Does anybody know where ISIS relocated to? They went to Libya. And you know who's on that border tonight? ISIS. You know who's inspiring Hamas? ISIS. Did you see them carrying ISIS flags when they were slaughtering the Jewish families down there in the southern? They were carrying the black flag of ISIS. They're from Libya. Did you see them in New York City carrying the black flag of ISIS? Did you see them in London carrying the black flag of ISIS? We're not talking about real estate. We're not talking about occupation. We're not talking about a two-state solution. We're not talking about politics. We're talking about good and evil. We're talking about getting ready for the Lord to come. We're talking about this is the end time, and God's letting all these players come together. So tonight on that Syrian border, I've got the bear of the north, the kings of the east. I've got Libya. And you say, well, you don't have Persia. Yeah, Persia is Iran. Iran, that's Persia. They're not Arabs. They're Persians. They speak Farsi. And, 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 and you need to know that all of these, all these players, they're there. They're, it's not going to happen, church. You are living in it. Before you get to your car... Jesus could come. And we ought to be living like it. We ought to be praying and being excited. You say, well, I thought Bible prophecy was something scary or, or spectacular. Do you know what? That, that King James Bible you're holding in your lap, it's 25% prophecy. One-fourth of your Bible is prophecy. If God didn't want us to study prophecy and know about it, he sure wouldn't have put it in the Bible. One-fourth of it is prophecy. And why is it in there? It's not to have a TV program. It's not to, to write a book and be sensational. It's not to put a billboard up and say that the Lord's coming next Friday. 
I figured it out. I, I used my Apple computer and all my charts and the feast days of Israel, and, and the Lord's coming July the 4th, 2024. I figured it out. It, that's that. And I go on TV, write a book, get everybody. You know the last guy that did that had all those billboards in New York City and all the subways were filled with? You know when his date came, do you know where they found him? They found him in a resort in Turkey, in the Mediterranean, living it up on all those stupid people that gave him money. You are not stupid people. You've got the Word of God. We've got all these things. And, and, and so God didn't want it to be sensationalized and to be abused. The whole purpose of prophecy is comfort. That's the whole word, comfort. It, he said, when you see all these things, do what? Look up. Your redemption draweth nigh. He didn't want us to run around here with a pooch mouth and look like we was born on the dark side of the moon, raised on dill pickles and lemon juice, had persimmons for supper. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to have a little pep in your step. He wants you to be celebrating the fact that your God's alive and well. You, see, you know what? The devil has knocked the wind out of the church, taking our joy, taking our victory. And you've got an opportunity to bring comfort to your family and to your friends by saying, won't you come to church with me? Won't you come? We're going to study the Word of God together. We're going to take it apart, verse by, verse by verse, word by word. We'll look at it because God has put us all together for this day and hour that we're living in. If I really believe the Lord's coming and He's coming, could happen tonight. Do you know what? I'd want to be right with the Lord. Amen. I'd want to know that I know. A few months ago, I'd left Israel, and I have a friend. <clears throat> Excuse me. I love airplanes and allergies and sinus. I have a friend by the name of Gershon Solomon. He's passed away the last few months. He's an Orthodox Jew. He's flown from Israel to my house, stayed with me, studied with me. We'd sit up to 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning going over the scriptures, me talking to him about the Messiah, Jesus. He told me, he said, I'm, listen to the words he told me at my dining room table. He said, I'm almost persuaded to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He said, but if I do, who's going to build the third temple? That's his burden. He won't build the third temple. And so he led the Temple Mount Faithful. That was the group he's over. We prayed. I went back to Israel. I flew back home. So about 18 months later, my phone rings, and it's Gershon. And he's talking so fast in broken English, I can't understand what he's saying. I thought his wife was sick at first. I thought he was saying, he kept saying, Get to the airport. Get to the airport. You've got to get over here. Hurry, Ralph. Don't wait. Don't wait. Hurry, Ralph. Get over here. And I said, what's the matter? Slow down. Tell me. And you, to know him, this is what he does every morning. Every morning he gets up when it's dark. Takes a shower. Puts on fresh clothes. Gets his walking stick. He was run over in the Six-Day War tank ran over his legs and crushed them. 
He's very crippled on his legs. Gets his walking stick. Goes out of his house. And then he starts walking every morning. And I said, where do you go? He said, I walk into the rising of the sun. He said, the Messiah's coming. Everything's happening. You can see it. You can see it. And he said, I want him to know that I'm looking for him. And I'm excited that he's coming. And I'm thinking, can you put that in a pill and give it to Baptists? My, listen, he gets up in the morning, takes a shower before the sun comes up, puts on fresh clothes, he wants to be clean, and he said, I do the prayer, and then I walk to the rising of the sun. I walk to the east every morning to wait for the sun to come up because it says he'll come from the east. And I want him to know I'm looking for him, and I'm excited. That's an Orthodox Jew. That's not a Baptist. That's not a Christian. That's a religious Jew. And he's talking so fast, I thought something was wrong. He said, hurry, get on a plane, get on a plane. And I said, what's the matter? He said, this morning. He said, this morning. He said, I take the shower and I get the, the fresh clothes and I go out to meet my Messiah. This could be the day. And he's crying now. And he said, I walk out the door on my broken legs. And he said, when I walked out the door, I felt his presence sweep over me. He said, I could feel that it's close. It could be this very day. And he said, I walked a little further. And he said, I had the bumps of the goose all over me. And I said, you had what? He said, the bumps of the goose. I said, you mean goose bumps? He said, yeah, that's what I said, the bumps of the goose. They were all over me. He said, Ralph, he's coming. It could be today. You don't want to miss him. Get to New York, get the plane, and come and be here with me when he comes. I said, Gershon, I love you, brother. I said, I promise you I won't miss him. I promise you. I said, I'll be there. He said, how do you know? I said, because the scripture says before he comes there, he's going to stop by my house and he's going to pick me up and I'm going to be with him when he comes back the second time. I'll be there when this all happens at the coming of the Messiah. Ladies and gentlemen, that Orthodox Jew was so excited that Jesus, the Messiah, he didn't call him Jesus, he called him the Messiah. You and I call him Jesus. Because we know the scripture. Are you ready for him to come? Have you had your spiritual shower? Have you got on your best clothes spiritually? Are you feeling sorry for yourself and worried about what's going to happen next? When Jesus said, I want you to look up. Your redemption's right here. Let's stand together.